Uh, as Pastor Stephen mentioned in his prayer, um, we have Pastor Mike Mounts with us uh, from Harrison Free Will Baptist Church out in Minford. Uh, he's going to be preaching. Uh, for obvious reasons, I decided to take the week off, and my brother uh, very quickly agreed that he would come and preach uh, to us, and I'm really grateful for Pastor Mike and his ministry. Um, so yeah, brother, if you want to come up here, we're excited to hear you preach. Let me first of all say amen to that prayer. Um, prayer can be defined in, a, in various ways, but uh, that prayer was truly an expression from his heart. And uh, there are times we rejoice, there are times we grieve, and we're sorrowful, but God is always faithful, and uh, thank him and, and praise his holy name. He's always faithful. Um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, in reference to God, when we, when we can't trace God's hand, we can trust his heart. He's always faithful. We can depend on him and rely on him. Let's take our Bibles this evening, if we would please, and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We'll look at, we'll read the first 17 verses, all right, because I would like for us to look at this in its context, and uh, tonight we will be focusing on, actually it's the seventh I Am statement of Jesus found in the Gospel of John, where he says of himself, I am the true vine and you are the branches. This is the seventh I am statement, but we will be focusing primarily on this, uh, the emphasis that, that really is this matter of abiding in Christ. It's interesting, 10 times the word abide is used in the opening 17 verses. So the word abide, because of its frequency, it's obviously an important word, this matter of abiding in Christ. Let's look at it together. The Gospel of John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, there's that word abide, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you, these things I command you, that you love one another. At the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul commended the believers at Corinth and he credited them for being living letters. Living letters. And due to the fact that he commends them for that and he credits them for being living letters, that validated Paul's ministry. Because Paul, the apostle, was under attack by false apostles. But not only the fact that they were living letters validated Paul's ministry, but also it validated the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those Corinthians had heard the gospel through Paul's preaching. They received the gospel through faith. In turn, their lives were transformed. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, they became a new creation, a brand new creation. It wasn't merely reformed or refurbished or remodeled. It was a brand new life in Christ. They had become a brand new creation. Their lives, the Corinthian believers, their lives were a testimony to everyone in Corinth. Corinth was a vile and a wicked city. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, that they were known and read by all men. Everyone in Corinth knew, they perceived, they recognized that something had radically changed in their lives, in these people's lives. There was no denying it. These people were different. The gospel of Jesus Christ was being manifested through their lives. They were truly being salt and light in a dark and corrupt culture. They were truly living letters, known and read of all men. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was a key leader in the Jerusalem church, he wrote the book of James to Jewish believers who had been scattered abroad due to persecution. The crux of the entire letter could be summed up, faith in action. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James reminds us even today that true saving faith will be demonstrated through and by good works. No, of course we're not saved by good works. But Paul and James remind us that we are saved unto or for good works. You see, true saving faith is not dead. It is dynamic. It is not anemic, but it's active. It is not barren, but true saving faith is fruitful. In fact, true saving faith, and James addresses this obviously, is quite practical. First of all, in James chapter 1, we're reminded that true saving faith impacts how we respond to the trials of life. 
True saving faith impacts how the believer responds to the trials of life. Secondly, it impacts how we respond to the truth of God's word. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Thirdly, true saving faith impacts how we treat others. James chapter 2. And then lastly, true saving faith impacts how we talk about others. James chapter 3. It most certainly is true. We may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. You've heard that, have you not? It has also been said we're the only Jesus some people will see. Alexander McLaren commented, and I quote, he said, The world takes its notions of God, most of all from the people who say that they belong to God's family. And he said, they read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. You see, how you and I live as believers in this world really does matter. What they see from our lives and what they hear from our lips is of eternal significance. The Apostle Peter wrote to the church that was at that time going through severe persecution under the reign of Nero. And Peter wrote to them to remind them of the importance and the power of a humble and Christ-like life for effective evangelism. He writes in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior, that is your daily conduct, keep it excellent, keep it honorable, keep it gracious, keep it noble among the Gentiles, the unsaved, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be called, may, they may because of your good works, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation or when God visits them with salvation. You see, although Christianity is a religion, it is far more than that. Christianity is a life, and it's Christ's life made living in the hearts and lives of his people. That is exactly what takes place when we genuinely trust Christ as Savior and Lord, and we abide in him. Abide describes this vital union that we have in Christ. It's a living connection. He is the only source of spiritual life, growth, and fruitfulness. He provides all that pertains to spiritual life and godly living. Abide suggests an unbroken fellowship with Christ. To be continually operative, in him and by his divine influence and energy through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In our passage, it's clear. Jesus gives us a very clear-cut description of those Christian qualities that will characterize those who are truly abiding in him. Those who are truly saved. First of all, we find in this passage there will be fruitfulness. And I'm just going to briefly touch on these points. There will be fruitfulness. He says, you will bear fruit. Chapter, chapter 15, verse 2. And, he's, and then he emphasizes that there is more fruit. And then there is much fruit. And then there is remaining fruit. There is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is characteristic of those who are truly abiding in Christ. And then in verses 2 and 3, there is this matter of cleansing. 
Obviously, the Word of God is absolutely essential regarding our initial cleansing at salvation. But God's Word is also indispensable when it comes to our sanctification as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we mature as believers. As we submit to God's Word, and we see this in, in chapter 15, as we submit to God's Word and as we obey God's Word, God's Word serves as pruning shears. Cutting away and removing anything in our lives that would prevent us from fruitfulness. He cleanses us, according to verse 2, so that we may be more fruitful. The characteristic of a true believer is that of fruitfulness and cleansing. Verses 7 and 16, answered prayer. Verse 11, fullness of joy. Verses 12 to 17, a Christ-like love. And then we come to verses 18 to 25, and we did not read that particular passage, but, but that of persecution. Jesus reminded us that if this world hated him, that the world would hate us as well. But let's look at verse 10, and the other characteristic regarding of truly abiding in Christ we find in verse 10, and Jesus said, if you love my, if you love I'm sorry, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So obedience is characteristic of those who are truly abiding in Christ, of those who genuinely know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And perhaps the Apostle John reflected on Jesus' word, words when he wrote his first letter. When he wrote his first letter in 1 John 2, 4, and 5. John wrote, He who says, I know him, and does not keep or obey his commandments is a liar, and, is, and the truth is not in him. In other words, he's not a believer. He's not abiding in Christ. But... Whoever keeps or obeys his word, truly the love of God is perfected or completed in him. By this we know that we are in him. Quite clearly, when we truly love God, we will love and obey his word. If you and I truly love God, we will love what he has to say and we will seek to obey him. Now, I realize that we all have lapses in our lives, don't we? We all have lapses in our lives. We have moments of disobedience. We are being perfected, but we haven't been perfected yet. And I personally understand that that's the case. I, I struggle with the flesh. I struggle with that unredeemed humanness that still clings to me. I hate it. I despise it. It gives me a lot of trouble. I know that the old man has been crucified and with Christ and buried and I've been raised to newness of life, but I still have that unredeemed humanness clinging to me. But at the very core of our hearts and our lives as believers, we still have a deep desire to please and obey our Lord and quite frankly, it should break our hearts when we sin and when we disobey our Heavenly Father. 
And at the same time, we should regularly come to him and confess to him the various things in our lives that displease him and perhaps even dishonor him. Let's consider some of the characteristics of obedience. First of all, obedience is a characteristic of Christ. Obedience is a characteristic of Christ. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he said, And being found in appearance as a man, he, that is Christ, humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when you look at that verse, we, we discover that humility precedes obedience. He humbled himself and became obedient. Humility precedes obedience. In 1 John 2, 6, John writes, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he, that is Christ, walked. And what type of life did Christ live? It was a life of total obedience. So obedience is a characteristic of Christ. Secondly, obedience is a testimony to the world. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16, verse 9, this is, well, just hear it for yourself. Paul wrote in reference to the church at Rome, the believers at Rome. He said, for the report of your obedience has reached to all, to the then known inhabited world. Their obedience was known to all. There's a passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 8 as well. And note what Paul says in Romans 1, 8. He said, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Word got around to the then known inhabited world of the believers there in Rome. They were hearing of their obedience. They were hearing of their faith. Absolutely amazing. The truth of the matter is, it wasn't easy being a Christian at Rome. It was the seat of, of government, and for the most part, corrupt government. The Caesar was to be worshipped as God and bowed to. It was a seat of pagan religion. It wasn't easy living for Christ in Rome. It wasn't easy being a Christian in Rome. But yet word got out to the then known inhabited world of their faith, of their obedience. What a testimony to other believers who were facing persecution and opposition. Paul rejoiced. It was not only a testimony to other Believers going through persecution and opposition, but certainly it was a testimony to those who were unsaved. Many of them in the early church, you know this, many of them literally had to stare death square in the face, renounce Christ or die, bow to Caesar die. Renounce Christianity or die. It wasn't easy being a Christian in Rome. 
that obedience is a testimony to the world. Thirdly, obedience creates a greater loyalty among believers. Paul wrote in that little letter to Philemon, having confidence in your obedience, he said of Philemon, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Obedience creates a greater loyalty among one another in the body of Christ. But also, number four, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, number four, obedience is willing to go the extra mile. The same verse, Philemon chapter, uh, verse 21, Paul wrote, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. You see, obedience is willing to go the extra mile. You see, Christian obedience goes beyond the mediocrity. Christian obedience goes beyond the minimum. In fact, you're familiar with this passage in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. You see, obedience creates a greater loyalty among believers. Obedience is willing to go the extra mile. Number five, obedience is determined by our thought patterns and our thought processes. You know as well as I do, the mind is a battlefield. The mind is a battlefield. So obedience is determined by our thought patterns and our processes. Paul wrote this, you're familiar with this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, that is, they are not of the flesh, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, that is, reasonings and speculations based on this present world's philosophy. Casting down arguments, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, obedience is determined by our thought patterns and our thought processes. A lot could be said about these verses. But there's something that we know is true. We know it firsthand. What people think determines how they act and how they live. As believers, you and I, it's absolutely imperative that we regularly feed on the infallible and inerrant word of God. God's word never fluctuates. It never changes with time or culture. It is imperishable. It endures forever. And as you and I, right here, right now, as we are right in the middle of a cosmic battle, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, 
We must be able to effectively wield the word of God. The sword of the Spirit to help set free those who are captive to sin and those who are captive to Satan, whose minds are captive to a, a godless, Christless, and truthless worldview. And as a defensive weapon, we must take it up regularly to counter the lies, the false religions, humanism, atheism, human philosophies, and opinions that you and I encounter on a daily basis, and we are bombarded with it. It's everywhere. It's around us. In the media, it's everywhere. We're bombarded with it on a regular basis. The devil is vying for our attention. The devil is vying for our allegiance. Obedience or disobedience is a telltale sign of what we are allowing to influence our thinking. We must move on. Obedience is characteristic of God's children. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Obedience is characteristic of God's children. Number seven, obedience is what distinguishes the believer from the rest of the world. Again, the same passage Peter writes, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Obedience distinguishes the believer from the rest of the world. And then obedience results in holiness, that which is like God. Again, the Apostle Peter in that same passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, your behavior, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So obedience is characteristic of Christ. Obedience results in holiness that which is like God. And then lastly, whom or what we obey reflects whom or what we are serving. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, do you not know that, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 6, Paul, wrote, Paul writes, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. He said, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Paul writes in Romans 12.1, 12.2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So rather than letting the world squeeze us into its mold, we should be allowing the word of God to squeeze us into its mold. Obeying it from the heart, as Paul said, passionately committed to God's word because you and I as believers, we've been freed from sin and we've become servants of righteousness. When you look at this particular passage in John 15, 
we can certainly see that obedience <clears throat> is characteristic of those who are truly abiding in Christ. Jesus himself states it emphatically. Jesus asked a very valid question. He said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, as Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount, and he's really, really coming to a climax. And we would say he's, he's bringing it home. He's bringing it home for us. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Obedience is characteristic of the true believer. Obedience is characteristic of the one truly abiding in Christ. John MacArthur wrote, he said, if the Christian life could be summed up in one word, it would be obedience. And as a reminder, we don't get to pick and choose what and when we obey. Partial obedience is still disobedience. When King Saul partially obeyed Samuel's instructions regarding King Agag and the Amalekites, Samuel said to him, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Warren Wearsby, who today is at home with the Lord, he wrote, he said, we only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. Wow. Martin Luther said, and it's, it's I mean, Martin Luther was just, he shot straight, did he not? When you read his writings, I mean, he shot straight. He said, you may as well quit reading and hearing the word of God and give it to the devil if you do not desire to live according to it. If we don't plan on obeying God's word, then we're approaching God's word just as if it's any other book. But it isn't. It's the word of God. As children of God, it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Through the new birth, through the new life that is ours in Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, he gives us the desire and he also provides the dynamic to do his good pleasure. Through a new birth and a new nature, God gives us the desire to do his will and that is our delight. He also gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit to enable us to do so. I want to close with this illustration and true story. But we've discovered, obviously, that Christian obedience goes beyond what is expected. Christian obedience is willing to go the extra mile. The story is told General Montgomery obviously served in World War II, a professed Christian. He often revealed basic principles of obedience which should govern us as people under the great captain of our salvation. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, when he came into command in North America, I'm sorry, North Africa, my goodness, North Africa, 
to rescue the allied, for, allied forces from the dreadful debacle, General Montgomery expected his commands to be carried out. He said, orders no longer form the basis for discussion, but for action. He said, previously, orders had generally been queried by subordinates right down the line. He said, I was determined to stop the state of affairs at once. And General Montgomery uncovered the cause for the lost battles in Africa. The reason being is because there were those soldiers who were questioning leadership and not following orders. And so it is in our lives. Disobedience results in lost battles. Disobedience causes loss of joy. The king's orders, our king, his orders are not to be discussed. They're to be obeyed. And just as it brings joy and delight to us when our children walk in obedience, when our children walk in obedience, so it brings delight and honor to our Heavenly Father when you and I walk in obedience to him. I know that you're familiar with this old hymn. The writer penned these words, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Let's bow our heads as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, first of all, we want to express our gratitude and thanksgiving for your word. That in it you reveal yourself. You remind us of the, the lostness of humanity and the spiritual depravity of humanity and you remind us that we desperately need a savior and we see the plan of redemption unfold from Genesis to Revelation. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the, the men and women down through the course of history who have literally laid down their lives and preserved your word so it's so readily accessible to, to many of us, to most of us. And so, God, we thank you for your word your word is not just merely to be heard and read, it is to be lived out, it is to be obeyed. Your word is to be lived out in shoe leather, in everyday life, in everyday situations and circumstances. Thank you that it is a lamp into our feet, it is a light into our path. Thank you that we can hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Thank you, Father, that as we've been reminded through this music this evening that as we meditate on it day and night, we will be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit. It's flourishing, it's fruitful. And God, what a tremendous opportunity, Father, for us to, to delve into your word and get into your word and your word gets into us. And God, it just has a major impact on, on everyday life and every aspect of life. So, Father, I pray that we will yield and submit and surrender ourselves more and more under the authority of your word and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, God, I pray that we will leave here to, tonight not merely being hearers, but, God, in our hearts as you give us the desire and the dynamic to carry it out, 
that we would also be doers of your word as well. God, so those around us that may be unsaved would see Christ, would see Christ in us and through us. And as we speak, that they would, they would truly hear the, the message of Christ through our lips as well. And God, that they would see our obedience. And they would see, Father, our faithful obedience to you. And God, so that we would truly have an, an impact, God, in our community, in our neighborhood. And God, wherever we go, wherever we work, God, that we would truly, you, you would use us to be an impact to reaching others for Christ. It's in his name we do pray. Amen.